The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts. Oh, righteous God, my shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, and a God who fills indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil, and is pregnant with mischief, and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out. He falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. Good morning, everybody. Really glad that you're joining us today, and we sure are looking forward to getting together with you in person. Pretty soon we can do that, and we're working out a lot of details with that. We're not in a rush to do that, but we know how important it is for us to gather together. And as much as we like to say, and it is important to point out that the church is not a building or a location or an address, part of the being part of a church is that we do gather together and we worship God together and we pray together in person and we're sure looking forward to that. But we're so glad that you're here with us and we'll give you some more information about that as we have it week to week. But thank you for being with us. We're going through a series in the Psalms. It's called Praying the Psalms. And today we're gonna to be in Psalm chapter seven, as you just heard, and we're gonna talk about anger. And I thought, you know, that was already kind of the plan, but this is sure a week, isn't it, to talk about anger. And how do we deal with that? And what are the things that come to mind when we're saying, what do I do with my anger? So the Bible is always gonna give us an answer and a response to those things. So let's get into it here in Psalm chapter seven. You know, there's a lot of things to be angry about. There are things this week that we should be angry about that have gone on. And there are things in our lives that are going on that are, I know are private with you that there's really good reason to be angry about. But there's also a lot of things in our life that's really not a good thing to be angry about. In fact, we are so, as a culture, so angry about dumb stuff all the time that we hardly have the emotion to be angry about the things we ought to be angry about. So what do we do? I hope that this helps with this today. If you're reading through the Psalms, you notice that some Psalms have some pretty interesting language in it. These prayers, these songs directed toward God. And some songs say some things about, that are very, very angry, very harsh. Psalm 55, 15, it says, let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead for evil finds a lodging among them. It's pretty angry. Psalm 58, six, break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Lord, tear out the fangs of those lions. Psalm 69, 27 through 28, 
Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. He's basically saying, may they go to hell. These are angry, angry statements that he is directing towards the Lord. And that's right there in your scripture. Do you ever feel that way? You ever pray that way? You know, there's a lot of statements like that through the Psalms and some of them are pretty rough. And how do we consider that kind of anger being expressed to God in light of what we see Jesus saying in the New Testament in the Sermon on the Mount? We studied this a few weeks ago in Matthew chapter 5, 21 through 22, where Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So how do we do this? How do we balance this out? Here's how. God is worthy of your primary response in the midst of your anger. When you get angry, whatever it's about, God is worthy of your primary response. You go to God first. And the psalmist is teaching us how to do that. You know, anger is an interesting thing because it can be very bad and destructive, but anger can also be good and restorative. And that's what we want our goal to be. And either way, when you are angry, what you do is you take it to the Lord in prayer first. This will help you when you're angry, discern whether or not you're angry in a sinful way. It'll keep you from making terrible mistakes when, when you're anger, angry. And when you know you're angry and it's justified, something that God is angry about also, it'll help you know what to do. The psalmist shows us some ways that we can do this. And in talking about this, I recognize that there's a lot of us out there who struggle with anger. We struggle with it a lot. There are lots of angry people who really are dealing with some difficult things. And I realize this is a much bigger topic than what I can deal with just today in a few minutes. Everybody gets angry from time to time about things, but some of us have a real anger problem when anger is a bad thing and a bad thing often. Some of us blow our stack at people, but most of us who have an anger problem, what happens is we hold grudges and we keep all this stuff in and we get bitter. And what it does is it forces us to get more angry until one day we do just blow our stack or we start to have health problems or we just start to get angrier and angrier at people, at family, at friends, and it just gets blown way out of proportion. Many of us struggle with that or we know people who do. Some of us live with angry people. Some of us work with angry people. Some of us go to school with angry people. Sometimes this kind of anger leads to physical abuse, verbal abuse. Sometimes it just makes it very difficult to hang around that person because you're always afraid that a simple little thing is gonna set them off. Have you ever been in that situation where you just have to walk on eggshells, we call it, and tiptoe around people because you just never know when they're just gonna blow? The Bible warns us about this. And typically people who struggle with this kind of anger, they do have a difficult time maintaining relationships and even keeping jobs. Because in their anger, even if they have a good reason to be angry or they think they do, they cross the line into sin and offend everybody in the process. Certainly that kind of anger needs to be dealt with. It's sinful. The Bible warns us about this kind of anger. And if we have this kind of anger problem, we do need to take it seriously and do something about it because it is not only causing destruction to us, but to the people and things around us that we care about. In the book of Proverbs, the writers address uh, anger a lot. Proverbs 22, 24 through 25. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you, will, you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. You see, people who have trouble with anger, they who are angry all the time, they tend to bring people down around them. They make other people angry. 
Have you ever been angry because you heard something from somebody about something, but not because you actually know anything about it, but just because you heard somebody's statement, somebody's gossip, and now it's made you mad because they're mad and you're mad because they're mad? That usually happens with somebody that you know close enough that you believe what they're saying and you don't question it and you just get mad. See how the anger spreads? It's how gossip and slander and backbiting and fault finding and all those things work. They begin with somebody who is sinfully angry. Angry people gossip, they slander, they omit relevant details from situations when they're telling their story about why they're mad. They tear apart and influence their friends to do the same and it destroys community. Anger not only destroys relationships, but it also destroys your health. Dr. Redford Williams in the Department of Psychiatry at Duke University Medical Center says this. He wrote, when you are venting your anger, things are happening inside your body that are like taking hours, days, and years off of your life, he explained. The research is unequivocal about this. It shows that people who vent or get angry a lot are more likely to die by age 50. You know, it's interesting. The Bible has always said that about anger, by the way. In Proverbs 29, 11, it says, a fool gives vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Anger in this way is worse than sorrow. It's worse than extreme physical exertion on your body. It's worse than stress. And it sets you up for a heart attack more than anything else. This is something that cannot be ignored. In Proverbs 12, 16, it says, a fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. Proverbs 19.11, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Think about that. We live in a culture that is ready to go to war over anything, any kind of offense, anything that just offends me and who I am or what I think. We go crazy. People last year, if you remember this, were getting in fist fights in the drive-thru at Popeye's over their chicken sandwich. Actual physical fist fights. Every day, this was happening over a chicken sandwich. It's a good chicken sandwich, I'll have to admit. But I don't think I'd punch anybody in the face over it, but then who knows? This kind of anger is destroying friendships. It's also destroying churches and it is destroying our country. Proverbs 15:1, a gentle, gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15:18, a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. You know, inside the church, church problems are almost always rooted and started with, by a person who feels entitled and then they get angry because they didn't get something that they thought they were entitled to or something didn't go his or her way. This happens all the time. It's almost always the root of it, selfishness and pride, and it spreads to other people. That's why Paul in Colossians 3.8, he says to the church, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And he's telling us that because these things destroy church families. They destroy families and they destroy societies. It's important that we take this seriously. Now that's a standard that is definitely one to live up to, but it's easier said than done, isn't it? But it is important. The Bible teaches that anger affects your ability to see what is true. It affects your ability to make good choices and it causes you to make bad choices. Proverbs 14, 29. A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. After you've been really angry about something, then you've cooled off. Have you ever thought to yourself, man, I can't believe I did that. I feel like a fool. You know why you feel that way? Because you probably were a fool. That's why. Anger distorts our view of the world, our view of others, and in worst cases, it distorts our view of the, an entire situation. Have you ever been angry about something that didn't actually happen? 
like you heard something from somebody and it wasn't true, or maybe you just made it up in your head, or maybe you've been angry with somebody over something and you've had a whole bunch of those imaginary conversations with somebody, you know, the ones where you really tell somebody off and you say those things that you really wish you would have said, and you just go on and on and it keeps you up at night and you're just angrier and angrier and then you finally deal with it only to find out none of it was ever true and that the thing that you're upset about didn't actually happen. And you've distorted the entire situation, your entire view of reality. And worse, you've probably told other people and their view of reality is distorted. You see how anger gets? It's powerful. It can cause great destruction. And we have to be careful with it. I've had situations in my life where I've received an email for somebody and it just really ticked me off for some reason. I just start to fire off a response. And a discipline I learned a long time ago, and I'm so glad, is that I put it aside and don't send it. One time a few years ago, I was about to just blast somebody and I felt real justified in this. And I put it in my drafts bucket and waited till the next day. And then before I sent it, I reread their email and it turned out I had read their email completely wrong. And I would have been just, I would have wrecked that relationship. It just would have been horrible. It's so easy to make that kind of mistake. I heard John Maxwell say one time that we're all only just one step away from stupid. Anger is one of those things that takes us there sometimes. But you know what? With all this talk about anger, we shouldn't forget that anger can also be a good thing when it's right. What the Bible teaches is this. The Bible does not teach that we should never be angry, but it does teach that we should get angry slow. I heard one guy say, it's not blow anger, it's slow anger. That's what we are to have. It's a sin never to get angry, but it is a, it's a sin to never get angry, and it can be a sin to get angry quickly. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, Paul writes, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. He's saying be angry, but sin not. A church father, John Chrysostom said, he who is not angry, whereas he has cause to be, sins. For unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. It fosters negligence and incites not only the wicked, but the good to do wrong. Being slow to anger is a mark of the wise. In fact, it's an attribute of God. In Exodus 34, God tells Moses, I am the Lord, slow to anger. It's interesting that God describes himself this way to Moses. He says, that's my glory. He says, I get angry, but I'm slow. And it's a great attribute. And some of you might be saying, I don't like anything about an angry God. I believe in a God of love, not a God who gets angry. But here's the thing. You can't have a loving God who does not get angry. An indifferent God to suffering and injustice and wrongdoing is not a loving God. An indifferent God to suffering and injustice and wrongdoing is not a loving God. Anger in its purest form, somebody said this, that anger is love in motion when something you love is under threat. This is God when he is looking at his people being harmed by sin, when he sees the destruction of what sin causes. When you're dealing with your own anger and you find yourself getting angry, a good question to ask is, what am I defending? If you look at the things in your heart that most anger you, ask that question, what is it that I'm defending? And when you answer that question, you'll know what your heart loves the most. Sometimes we get angry over something that is not really important. But what's happening is that an idol of ours is being attacked, something we think is of great importance when it isn't, and so we attack back in our anger. But sometimes we get angry over what anger is God, and that kind of anger is right. When God is angry, it's because he is angry at the sin that hurts us. When Jesus cleared out the money changers from the temple, he was angry, very angry, 
He was angry at their selfishness and they're hurting the mission of the temple. It's supposed to be a house of prayer, he said. Jesus in the New Testament, when he's angry, most of the time he's angry at religious people. Have you noticed that? It's rarely the pagans. It's the religious people he's angry at. And you know why he's angry? It's because in their selfishness and their legalism, they're harming the gospel. They're harming the true message of God that they are custodians of by making it just religion and not something that's real. And Jesus is very angry with them. Jesus gets angry because he is a man of love. And this is why those things anger him. The Bible has a unique approach to anger. It's not about letting it out, but it's also not about keeping it in. It's about focusing it in the right place and acting in a particular way whenever you're angry about the right things. If anger is so great, why does it go so wrong? Here's why. Anger is wrong when it comes from those disordered loves. Our anger can be distorted. St. Augustine said this, he said, the greatest problem we have is disordered loves. And the idea is that in our family, our political causes, or you know, with our hobbies or our kids or things that we just value so highly, we can actually value them too highly and put them above God and put them above God's mission. And whatever we're using as our identity, we start to think that makes us important. And if our kids are our identity or our hobby is our identity or our career or a political cause, or even our church that we go to is our identity, it can be an idol. It can be something that is, we love greater than God and it distorts the mission of God and our anger when something attacks those things is distorted. The problem is we turn these things into the highest of things, the ultimate of things. And we're looking for happiness and security in those things and identity in those things. And only God can give us those things and our identity should only be in Christ. You see how that works? The greatest problem we have is disordered loves. When we love other things or activities more than God, our emotions get distorted. Embarrassment is at the root of it very often because it seems to attack our identity of who we are. We feel that our most important attribute or part of our identity has been harmed. The problem is, is those things shouldn't be our identity in the first place. And our anger is a result of loving something more than God. Disordered love leads to disordered anger. Anger can be disordered, distorted in its cause. We get so much angrier about someone who is rude to us or offending us somehow than we are angry about injustice. Have you noticed that? Well, we've seen some terrible injustices this week on our news feeds and our social media, on the television. How angry are we about that? I hope you're really angry. But you know what? I'll bet that for a lot of us, we look at that and go, that makes me angry. But really, I'm a lot more angry because so-and-so snubbed me recently. Why is that? Why do we get 10 times more upset about things that just are small snubs to us than we do injustices in the world? You know why? It's because we love our own status. We love our own identity that we've created for ourselves. And when somebody embarrasses us or we don't get something we think that we're entitled to, it pricks our biggest love, us. And so we get angry. And then we hardly have the emotion to get angry at all about the things we ought to be angry about. We get angry about causes that don't really matter. Churches that are in crisis, it's almost always internal matters. If a country is turning against the church, you know what, that's a great thing for the mission of the church. In fact, the gospel spreads more easily where it's illegal, where the church is being persecuted. Did you know that? And in churches where the, ch in, where the church is free, it has so many internal struggles that are usually over things that don't matter at all. Service styles, decor, certain programs that we really like, but now they're no longer useful, so they get canceled and we get mad. Whatever it is, what happens is we become unconcerned about the things that Jesus is the most concerned about. You know, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. 
Jesus is deeply concerned about everybody's soul. This is what our concern is to be. And he's angry when things get in the way of people hearing the pure gospel. This is why he gets so angry with the religious people all the time, because they're getting it wrong. Anger can also be distorted in its proportion when it comes out. Sometimes you got a good reason to be angry, but sometimes when you should be shooting BBs, you shoot cannonballs, right? You just go nuclear on somebody for something small that they did. Maybe something you need to address, but you go nuts. This causes a whole lot of problems for people. I, somebody sent me a video this week of a woman in a drive-thru at McDonald's, and she is going ballistic in the drive-thru because they messed up her caramel, uh, you know, that stuff they squirt on top of your frappe that caramel sauce. They mess it up. They put too much or too little, and she is cussing them out, shouting. She throws the thing at them. You know, I thought to myself, she ought to be glad that that frappe machine was actually working. I mean, it's never working when I go. At least she got one. I wonder how angry she gets at injustice or other things. If you're that mad about your caramel swizzle or whatever they put on there, wow. It's not in proportion. It's distorted. People's anger is also distorted in the goal of anger. When you get angry, okay, what's your goal with it? What's supposed to happen? What's your goal when you're angry with somebody? What should happen is that you should humbly remove the log from your own eyes so that you can patiently try to help that someone grow and see their sin and be restorative. That's what anger is for. But in distorted anger and disordered anger, you go after the person. You go after them in vengeance, you slash and burn, you say things behind their back that are harmful or even right to their face that are hurtful and you don't say it in a calm way, you just go off. And you know what, that person, maybe they deserve their anger, maybe they're a jerk, but then suddenly you become the bigger jerk and it doesn't work and it's destructive for everybody. See, that's anger, that's a whole lot of stuff. So what do we do? What's the solution? Psalm seven, God is worthy in the midst of our anger to hear what our emotions are, to hear how we're offended, to hear what we're frustrated with, to hear all those things. And the psalmist is gonna show us this. Chapter seven, verse one, one and two says, Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. First thing he does in his anger is he takes his anger to God. Starts talking to God about his fears, about his embarrassment, about whatever is on his mind. Look at verse three, Lord, my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. See, God is worthy of your confession to him. And what God wants you to do is pray and then take the log out of your own eye. You see, when we take our frustrations and our anger to the Lord, and we say, God, this has embarrassed me, this has offended me, this has angered me, this is what I'm afraid of. But first, God, if I'm wrong to feel this way, if I am accusing somebody unjustly, or if I have sinned against them somehow, or there are certain circumstances here that I just don't know about that would clarify the situation, God, I need to know those things. And I confess that I'm in sin in this way. See, when you confess your sin and the possibility that you don't understand the situation fully, it starts to diffuse things for you. Many people see themselves justified in their anger, like whatever it is, like Jesus in the temple. Well, I like Jesus in the temple, you know, but let me tell you something, your anger towards a person or a group of people over something, it's not the same thing. And I've heard people say, it is the same thing. I'm a prophet and God has told me that my anger is justified. No, you're not a prophet, you're not. 
It's not the same thing. You're taking the Lord's name in vain. Don't do that. Take your anger to the Lord. You see, you have to take those thoughts to the Lord right away. You go to him and you pray and you say, God, this is how I feel. I got to deal with this with you before I do something stupid, before I'm a fool. I don't want to be. I want to be angry about the right thing. I want to live in reality of what is actually true. You take those things to God right away. You take your feelings to God about a situation and you wrestle with him. Psalm 7, 6 through 9. Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God. Decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather around you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity. O Most High, bring an end to the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God who probes minds and hearts. The next thing you do is you have to give God your sense of vengeance, your sense of rage, your sense of bitterness, and let him judge. Make sure that you know that vengeance is his, that he is the one who is ultimately the judge. And if you are right in the situation that's making you angry, let God vindicate you. I heard somebody say one time, it was in the context of, of uh, the marriage counseling that he would give. He says, you know, I always tell husbands and wives that they can be right later. Sometimes in a marriage, you just want to be right about something, and it can be true in a relationship with a roommate or a friend or a coworker or somewhere. You just want to be right. And maybe you are right. Well, the thing is, is that you can be right later. In your marriages, if you're married, that's a really good piece of advice. You know, if you're arguing with your spouse about something and you're right, you think you're right, you, know what? you don't have to continue that argument. You can say, okay, well, let's just see what happens. And you know what? If you're right later, your spouse will probably acknowledge that one way or another. And if you're wrong later, you're going to be really happy you didn't just keep claiming you're right only to find out that you are wrong. I learned this a lot in my own marriage that I just have to be right later. And you know what I found out is I'm wrong a lot. And I'm really glad uh, that I've learned that lesson. Our anger and our outbursts, when we're ultimately right, even if we are right about our situation, we get angry in a sinful way and we just outburst and we put people down. We say things we wish we didn't say. You know what happens? It robs us of that victory later of being shown to be right. When we try to take that vindication in such a way that we did it and didn't let God be the judge. You have to trust God with the things that you're angry about. You have to. And you have to give him that trust in your prayers. Psalm 7, 10 through 13, my shield is God most high who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. You see, God is worthy of your trust. Let him judge and you move on to love people the way he's asked you to in spite of your disappointment in them or even in the situation. You love them actively. The psalmist continues, whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. Why is this there? Why is this part right there? It's because of this. It's a great reminder. It's a reminder that following evil schemes that are being birthed in you, following the bitterness that is inside you and responding with that, it's going to cause you harm. You're going to fall into the pit, the pit that you have dug. When we let bitterness take hold, it's being pregnant with evil. And what happens is we give birth to more evil and more anger, and it takes root in other people, and it spreads and it changes their situation, and people don't have an honest view of reality because of that. 
The psalmist understands that this is so important. Examine your motives and seek ways with God to love people. Confront people who need to be confronted, but do it in love with their restoration in mind. This is what God wants us to do. And he doesn't want us to gossip or slander. We don't take it to our small group first. We don't take it to our prayer meeting where we say, hey, everybody, we need to pray for Bob. He is such a jerk. Let me tell you why. We don't do that. We take it to God. And then if there's something we need to take to Bob, we take it to Bob privately and we try to restore that person in love. And the last thing we see the psalmist do is praise God. Verse 17, he says, I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of his name of the Lord Most High. God is worthy of your praise. God is worthy of your praise, even in the midst of your anger and your frustration and your embarrassment. This is when you need to praise God. You've got to do it here. There is nothing in your life, there is no offense that you have suffered of any kind that should distract you from worshiping God, even in your anger. God will hear no excuse for not being worshiped. We always have to worship the Lord our God and we must come back to that. The psalmist is showing us how to deal with our anger this way. So what ought we be mad about? In Psalm 109, the psalmist is angry at somebody and he says this to God. He says that he asks God to appoint an unjust ruler over him. He asks God to shorten his life, to orphan his kids and to widow his wife and to take away his leadership role, to make his kids poor and homeless. He even asked that a creditor would come along and take everything he has and then whatever is left would be looted by strangers. He's pretty angry. Why is he that angry to take that kind of attitude and that kind of anger to the Lord? In verse 16 of Psalm 109, he tells us, for he, this person he's mad at, never thought of doing a kindness, but hounded to death the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted. You will find what angers God is the plight of the poor, the sins of the oppressors, evil towards children and the hopeless, and the indifference of religious people who are too consumed about their own religious practices to help those who have true need. This angers God, and this should anger us. And we see this all over the place. You see, indifference is the greatest form of hate. How should I treat the one who has harmed me? How do we treat that person who really has harmed us? Here's how, Romans 12, 20 through 21. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, there is something in our anger that we can do when we get so angry, we decide to love somebody, practically speaking, when we decide to love our enemy, the one who has wounded us. And you know what? It brings victory. It brings restoration. And that's really hard to do, especially when our anger is justified, when there's been some great injustice. I've been asked multiple times this week what we can do about racism, about cynicism, about hopelessness. Martin Luther King, in a book he wrote called A Gift of Love, he writes this, this is kind of a lengthy quote, but he says, while abhorring segregation, we shall love the segregationist. This is the only way to create the beloved community. To our most bitter opponents, we say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. 
throw us in jail and we shall still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children and we shall still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community at the midnight hour and beat us and leave us half dead and we shall still love you. But be ye assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. One day we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves. We shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process of our victory. And our victory will be a doable victory. That's pretty powerful stuff. Those principles are sadly absent from much of our culture today. And they are the only ones that work. That's the reason we have a holiday for Martin Luther King right there. The reason we have those memorials. Today, we, the people of the risen Christ, we are called to love people this way, to speak out against injustice, but love people in such a way that what we are doing is presenting the gospel to them because they need Jesus. Because that's the solution. God is worthy in the midst of our anger and he will guide us to this wisdom of his word and we will know what to do with our anger. Let me give you some takeaways. What can I do about the things that I'm angry about? First, we go to God first. We take it to God and we pray. And the first thing we do is we take the log out of our own eye. You know, the biggest problem we often have with our anger is that we don't see our own part of the problem. And it's always somebody else. No, it's us too. And sometimes it's mostly us. And we need God to help us understand that. You have to wrestle with God and ask for wisdom and discernment for yourself. Maybe you have an anger problem and you're hearing this today and you know that, or somebody sitting with you knows that. Get the help, do it. Thinking that you are right about some situation doesn't make you right. And it doesn't justify sinful responses, even if you are right. And the second thing is let God take his vengeance. This does not mean that you stay out of it. This does not mean that you don't speak out. But our call and the solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ to lead people there, to be very active in that. Not inviting people to come to our buildings, but getting involved with people personally, the people that God has placed in our life. Our job is to bring people to Jesus in the midst of our anger and injustice, to point them to Jesus and his gospel because it is the solution. That is where peace and justice reign. That is where lives get changed. That's where systems get changed. It's the gospel. I feel like that sometimes just sounds like a churchy thing to say, something a pastor would say. But you know what, if you believe the gospel to be true, it means some things. It means some things about how this world works. It means some things about what is true about you and God and that person that you're angry with or that injustice that keeps on happening week after week after week. And maybe we're only seeing it more because everybody's got a television studio in their pocket. But now we're seeing it and we're asking, well, what can I do about this? Racism and mistrust of authority and mistrust of institutions, these things are rampant in our society right now. And you know what, we're not handling it very well. It doesn't seem like it's getting any better. We have as a culture a difficult time articulating a perspective on just about anything that isn't tainted by left or right politics. Have you noticed that? Almost anything politics gets in the way or the upcoming election. We have a difficult time in our culture understanding the pain that other people are going through because we don't get to know people the same way. We seem to huddle around people who have our same points of view politically or people who are just like us and we don't get to listen to our neighbor and what they're going through and understand their response to things. And all we see things is through a lens of politics or a lens of our own experience. And this is a very troubling thing. This is especially 
frustrating because we have different views that need to be heard and need to be understood. And as a culture, as Christians, we're supposed to mourn with those who mourn, not argue with those who mourn. We need to be a part of what is going on. And we have become insensitive to the realities that many people are living with, even in the body of Christ. Like I said, I've been asked several times, what's the solution? And my friend, it is the gospel. And I don't mean that as a churchy thing, but I want you to listen. If you believe the gospel, then it has a true impact on the way you see the world and the way you will behave and the way you think about other people and the way you look at the world and what you get angry about. It really does. You see, when we know that we are equal as human beings before our maker because he made us in his image, everybody's the same that way. When we know that we come to Jesus Christ and salvation and everlasting life through faith in Jesus Christ and faith alone, and that we are to make disciples of all nations, it says something about what it is we actually think about humanity. And it humbles us and we should be outraged, absolutely outraged by injustice. And we will know it when we see it. And when we pray about it, we will know what angers the Lord. But you know what? Here's the thing. If you don't believe in God or you don't believe that God created us in his image, if you don't really believe that, like the culture we have right now doesn't want to believe, then you know what? Racism has its roots right there in that disbelief. Because if we are not made in the image of God, then we can believe whatever we want about humanity. If there's no creator, if there is no savior, if not only one savior who saves us from sin and death, if the victory is not in Jesus, then I guess we can believe what we want. See how that works? It matters to believe the gospel. If you believe that Jesus is the one and only savior and we come to him for salvation by faith, that our sins are forgiven because by grace we've been saved through faith. If you truly believe that, it means you can truly love your neighbor because they are not less deserving than you are. Because you see them in the same way that Jesus sees them as someone to be loved, someone who, wants to, who ought to be in our family together, whoever they are. And we will be concerned about our neighbor. We will be concerned about both social justice and moral order. Our politics seems to pick one or the other. You can be about social justice or you can be about moral order, but not both. And unfortunately, a lot of our churches divide on that matter. Some churches are all about social justice. Some are about moral order, but not both. Jesus is about both. We should be about social justice and moral order because Jesus is about those things. See, if we do not do that, then our love for our neighbor is not gonna be true. We lose the reason to do that and we get a suffering and failing society when we're only one of those things. If you believe the Bible to be true, then you should read to the end of it and you'll realize something that your political point of view and mine, whatever it is, it's gonna fail. It is not going to work. It is not going to bring out some kind of utopia. Things are not gonna be good on human systems. But if you read through the Bible, you realize that only Jesus is the true king and he is to be worshiped. He is to be prayed to and praised. And also he is to be followed and fellowshiped with and it's relational. And we're inviting people, he's inviting us to invite people with him into the same family. If you don't believe that, then you have to look for security and leadership within human structures and systems and philosophies. All of those are ruled by the devil. Be angry, my friend, but do not sin. Be angry about what Jesus is angry about and respond with prayer and wisdom and love in action. Put Jesus's concerns at the top of your list. You need to know what those things are if you're gonna do that. So get into the word and study the word of God. 
I don't think it takes too long to figure out that Jesus is not offended because you didn't get enough caramel swirl in your drink. He's probably offended if you're offended at that. Get that right with the Lord. But he is mad about sin and destruction of people and injustice. We need to reorder our love so that what bugs us is not something that we've propped up as our own identity or our own entitlements that get threatened. But we get angry when we see injustice. We get angry when we see gossip or slander or backbiting, the sins that tear up people and keep them from seeing Jesus. We need to respond actively with people that we know. We need to listen to people. As we see these injustices on the news and we say, gosh, I don't know what to do about that. You know what you do? Here's what you do. You begin with the people you already know, the people you go to school with, the people you work with, your next door neighbors, and you get concerned about them. I like to call that group of people your oikos. It's a Greek word that means household. It's all through the New Testament. Everybody's got an oikos. It's the people you do life with. It's the people that are not your friends necessarily. They can be, but it's the people that you have to do life with because they live next door or you work in the next office from them or you're in a class with them or they're your roommate. Most people have about eight to 15 people in that group of people called your oikos, a sociologist would tell you. Start with them. Start with those people who are different, who are different ages, different ethnicities, different backgrounds of all kinds, and get to know them. Go to lunch with them. Invite them to your house and have dinner. And ask them how they feel about these things that we see. And listen. And don't try to make a disciple of yourself with them. Point them to Jesus Christ. Our anger for injustice and all these things should drive us to be more concerned about the gospel and more concerned about the people that God has purposefully and providentially placed in our relational world to share the gospel with them because their hope is not in fixing the system. Their hope is that Jesus has fixed the system on the cross and one day everything will be made right and justice will reign. And we want them to be a part of the celebration with us. This is what we can do. You see, when we serve the people in our life, when we pray for those people, when we serve them, when we listen to them, when we invest in them in our time, maybe we pay for lunch when we go out with them and we invite them into our world and we go with them when they wanna show us something in their life, we get to know them, we become friends. It puts us on mission, a gospel mission for everyday life with the people that God has placed in our life every day. This is something practical that you can do and this will order your anger. It will relieve you of the responsibility to fix everything and give you the responsibility to be a part of the fix that is knowing Jesus and knowing his gospel. That is the victory. And we can do that. And we can do that every day, every one of us. God has empowered you to do that. So friends, take your frustrations, your anger, whatever it is to the Lord and ask him what to do. Ask him to cleanse your heart. Take the log out of your own eye with your own things that you struggle with, with all of these things and say, God, how can I be on mission with the people that you've placed in my life? Make me effective in this ministry that you've given me and then praise him and give him glory for that. All that's right there in Psalm seven. Isn't that amazing? Would you pray with me? God, we come to you today and for many reasons, some of us, most of us have heavy hearts and some of it's because of things that we see on the news, but many of us are going through so much personally that we don't even notice that stuff because there's just so much going on. And we struggle because of COVID-19 and the disruption that that has caused. And there are many things on our mind. God, I pray that each and every person listening to this would take those concerns, their frustrations, their anger to you. Right now, today, 
and say to you what needs to be said because you're worthy of it. You're worthy of our deepest emotion, our deepest concerns, our deepest frustrations. And God, I pray that you would help create in us a pure heart, that you would take the log out of our eye, that you would help us to see how we can do better and help us to love others. And if there are things and when there are things for us to be angry about, help us to be angry at the things that you're angry about. Help us to be concerned about the things that Jesus is concerned about, the souls of each other. And as we think about our culture, our country during this time, God, we pray for it. We pray for our leaders. We pray that wise decisions are made. But Lord, we confess that the answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that all people would know that they are made in the image of you, the living God, that we would know that and we would be humbled by it and that we would celebrate that and love our neighbor, that we would love our enemy, that we would love people who are just like us and people who are totally different and that we would point them to Jesus Christ and realize how true it is and how meaningful it is that victory is on the cross that our sins and their sins you died for and that you are the Savior and whoever believes in you will have everlasting life and victory over death and victory over sin and all the injustice in the world that we see all the time, that we grieve, that we are angry about, it will be resolved in you, in your judgment, in your vengeance, because you are God. Help us to love each other this way. Help us to know how to respond in our anger to people that we know and over situations in our society and help us to start right there with the people that you've placed in our life. Make us a great testimony to them. Keep us on mission every single day with those people. We thank you for being present with us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.